0: Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week, we continue in our new series, Exiled, Hope in a Hostile World, as we are led by our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott. Pastor Jared will be preaching from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, focusing in on how we should live as a response to our hope in Christ. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you that we can be in your house this morning. Thank you that we can sing your praises. Lord, it's wonderful to be able to celebrate communion this morning as well as we remember what you've done for us. You've done so much for us, and we are eternally grateful. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for what you teach us in your Word. Lord, you teach us so much about how to live in this life. You never said it was easy, but you show us how to live it out. So we thank you for the book of First Peter and what it teaches us about living in a world that's sometimes hostile towards you. So, Lord, I pray that you speak through me now. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart. That you impress upon us the message you want us to hear this morning. And that we are just hearers of the word, but we'll be doers of it as well. And I ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Well, good morning, Christ Church. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad that you're here with us. Wasn't that song by Brad and the band great? Wasn't that awesome? I love that. It was so great and so fitting. I asked if I could do the rap, and he said no. Uh, so you know, it's great to be able to talk about a new life because that's what we're talking about here. You know, we're in the series called Exiled: Hope in a Hostile World. We have this whole uh, set looking up here that uh, looks like uh, you know, like you're deserted on an, uh, uh, you're on a deserted island. Um, when I look at this, I you, know, you see the waterfall and like the palm trees and stuff. It's like man, if I was deserted on an island, this is where I'd want to be. It's like Fiji back here. But one thing we're talking about is. Uh, we're talking about exiles, living in a hostile world. That's what Peter is talking about. Now, before we even get in this passage, I want to say one thing. Jamie did a great job of setting this up last week for us. When we talk about hostile world, what I want you to focus on is not the hostile world part, but the hope that we have. It's easy to come in here and think, oh man, we're going to talk about how bad the world is. No. It's bad now. It's bad before. The culture's bad. It's been bad for years. It's been bad all the way back to the time of Peter. We know that. There are People in the world that do not love God, don't want to follow His ways. We, it's been like this uh, since the beginning of time. So it's not about like living in an escapism life. Okay, This isn't like, hey, let's have hope, let's go to an island like this, like Fiji right here. And like let's live, let's just wait it out. It's not about that. It's about living in the here and now. How do we live out this life, the hope that we have? There's a great quote by C.S. Lewis um, who really talks about this. It drives it home. I always think about this quote. He says this. C.S. Lewis says this. Hope is one of those theological virtues. This means it's a continually looking forward to the eternal world. And it's not, as modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It doesn't mean that we are to live, leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought most about the next. In other words, we live in a world, we may not be able to totally change the world, but those of people that have, have the hope in Jesus Christ have done more for this world than anybody else. So we're to live in this world a certain way. And that's what Peter is talking about. Peter talks about in this that we have, a, we have a hope, that we're to live a certain way. You know, last week we talked all about uh, what Jesus did for the beginning of 1 Peter, it is all about what Christ has done, Okay? The, his work on the cross. And now we, we come to, to this passage here. What Peter's trying to do, he's talking to all the, the Christians that are spread out all over the, the world, right? Who are living in a hostile world. What he's trying to do is tell them to live triumphantly in the life, in the midst of hostility in which we live. Some of you aren't on a deserted island, but you're living in a, in a world of, of hostileness. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in your, your school place. Maybe it's in your own life. There's this hostility in your life. What Peter's saying here is, hey, once you know who Christ is, then you realize we have an obligation to do. And that's what we talked about last week. Who Christ is, this week we talk about our obligation. You know, we all have obligations, don't we? Uh, As parents, we definitely have obligations to our kids, don't we? We have obligations to to care for them, to to love them unconditionally, right? Well, I had one of those weeks. Every parent has, right? Every parent has this. If you've ever been a parent, you know you've been there, right? you will be a parent someday, you're going to have this. Kids, just so you know, this is going to come up. It's that, it's that, it's that middle of the night cry, right? So this week I was laying in bed and sound asleep, and I, I heard this next to my bed—a cry, right? Someone saying that he was sick. Now two thoughts ran through my mind: either this is a burglar who's really messed up, telling me, letting me know that he's not feeling well, or it's uh, one of my kids about to throw up on me. So both. Both of which were very selfish thoughts. So I thought, man, I have an obligation, right? Kid is sick, I have an obligation. So I said, okay, I'm going to fulfill my obligation. I'm going to take care of this child. So what I did, what every uh, parent would do um, to fulfill their duty, I, I, I looked at him. I said, listen, go around the bed and tell your mother. Uh, she'll be up in a minute. I'll be right here if you need anything. So that was my, and then I went back to sleep. Great night rest. Uh, no, I got up, right? Put him back to bed. And then, then that cry came a few minutes later. You know what that one is, right? This one, he, this time he didn't even make it to the bed, right? And so I'm up, he got sick of his bed, I'm up doing laundry. You've been there, parents, you're shaking your heads, I know it. You've been there. doing laundry at like 2 o'clock in the morning, right? Then you're downstairs watching TV, there's nothing on at 3 o'clock in the morning, right? Besides infomercials. infomercials. I got a juicer, by the way. Juicers are great, right? I realized we were drinking juice all wrong, all our life. So this juice. no, just kidding. But it's that obligation, right? It's that duty we fulfill as as parents. We have an obligation. Once we have children, you're, you have obligations to take care of them. And what Peter is talking about now in this passage, he says, listen, once you know who Christ is, if you've given your life over to Him, if you've confessed your sin, you've asked Him to come into your life, you now have an obligation to live out. You have a duty to fulfill. This week I read an article um, about that the teacher. Maybe you've read this article about the teacher who saved his school from this mass shooting. You know, mass shootings are becoming an issue, obviously, in our culture and our world today. And they were talking to this teacher who saved the school by like tackling this kid and who had the the gun. they asked him why. Why did you do it? He, I remember he said he said I had an obligation to the students. I had a duty to fulfill. That's exactly what Peter's saying. He said, like, "Listen, once you know who Christ is, you have an obligation." It's not about just sitting around now and waiting for His return. You have an obligation to live a certain way. And there's three obligations we have. The first one is our responding obligation to God. We see this in the first part of uh, what we just read, 1 Peter 1, 13-21. Then you have a responding obligation to others. It's the latter part of verse 1. Responding obligation to others, so verse 22-25. And then next week, So we look at our responding obligation to ourselves, that's 1 Peter 2. Those are the obligations we have. Now, when you look at this passage, when you look at First Peter, this is a tough book, right? I was talking to Pastor Jamie over on the sanctuary just a few minutes ago, and we were talking about P- Peter. The book of Peter is a deep book. You know, we, we just got through character sketch. We're doing all kinds of narratives on, on great characters of the Old Testament. Now we go to Peter. It's like jumping, it's like being shoved into the deep end of the pool. Because it's so deep. There's so much there. In fact, when we look at that, we're just going to spend the time just this morning, in a few minutes we have, just in the first few verses. There is so much in Peter. But what I'm hoping you do is read along with us, that you follow along with us as we go through this book of First Peter. It's our responding obligation to God, first off. And there's three words that I want you to remember. We have an obligation. Hope, holiness, and honor. Say them with me. Hope, holiness, and honor. That's our obligation. You want to know what happens after you become a Christian? That's it. You have an obligation to God. You need to have hope. You need to have holiness. You need to have honor. So we respond in hope. Look at verse 13. If you have your Bibles, it's in there. The service it was just read for us. It's in there as well. It's First Peter 1 verse 13. It says, therefore. You know, time you see the word therefore, you've got to stop and go, okay, what is that word therefore? Because it's there for a reason. right? What is therefore, therefore? It's a transition. He just got talking about done talking about what Christ has done. Now we respond, therefore. There's a command that we have. So set your, your minds that are fully alert and sober. Set your hope on the grace to to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is re- revealed at his coming. Man, that is a powerful verse. With minds that are alert, fully sober, set your hope on the grace brought to you when Jesus Christ comes. Man. It's the hope we have. You know, a lot of people ask, and they'll use this interchangeably. Maybe you do. You use it interchangeably faith and hope, right? We have faith, we have hope. Two different things. Faith is believing what God has done in the past, His promises, and in the present. Hope is the future. Faith is believing what God has done. Hope is believing God for the future, Faith believes what God has said and what He's done. Hope believes what God will do. In a sense, faith is trusting God for the present. Hope is trusting God for the future. When you're on an island, when you're deserted, you have hope for the future. Faith accepts. Hope expects. That's the difference. We are to have hope for the future. To fix our eyes on the hope that is coming. Now, one of the things I want you to understand. This is where it gets a little deep. So stay with me. That's why Peter is a very deep book. One of the things you need to understand is when you have hope about something, maybe you are in a marriage that's in crisis, or maybe you need a new job, or maybe you need some hope for uh, the relief of the pain that you have, right? A lot of people say you have hope, and it brings us encouragement. Yes, it does, but that's not the main reason we have hope. Okay? That's why this is a deep book. You need to understand, we have hope, not because of what it does for us, is because it brings glory to God. Amen. That's the hope we have. That's why we have hope. And let me show you what that looks like. Let me tell you why. Because if you're in a situation where you're, you're hopeful that, you're, that your spouse is going to come back to you some point, right? That, you're, that, that maybe you'll have a rekindled marriage, and it doesn't happen then what happens a lot of times is people get angry and mad at God. But when we have hope that God is in control, no matter what the circumstance is, then we bring glory to God. That's the hope we have. So does it bring us encouragement? Sure does. But does it bring a glory to God? Absolutely. We've got to have that hope. We understand the promises of the past. That brings us faith. We have hope for the future. That's why we did the Old Testament character sketch before this series, Right? Because when we go through those Old Testament characters, we talked about all the promises that God did for them, showed up at different points in their life, all the issues and trials that they went through, that God showed up. That gives us faith, that builds our faith based on the promises of the past, that God is faithful in the past, faithful in the present, but now we have hope for the future. That's when we go through the Old Testament character sketch first. Now we move to hope in 1 Peter. Hope for the future. But hope, we have hope because it brings glory to God. Let me show you what this looks like from Scripture. Romans chapter 4. You know the story of Abraham. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Remember, God said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And he's almost 100 years old. Since he was about 100 years old, it says. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Sarah was in her 90s. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Faith on what he had promised, hope for the future. Imagine Abraham being 100 years old and having a son. (laughs) I mean, it's old, right? Sarah's old. Kids, you're in this room. You imagine, bring your, parent to work, bring your parent to school day. Hey, here's my dad. He's 114, right? We're hoping he doesn't crack in half by the end of the day, right? <laughs> He's old, right? His he hope hope. God says, you're going to have a son. Abraham's faith was strengthened because of the promises of God. But now he has hope. His hope is also strengthened. It also says he has hope against hope. Why does he have hope against hope? Because he knows his body is almost dead. He knows Sarah's body is old, too. That's hope against hope. Some of you have a bill that you need to pay. You can't pay it, but you also have a job that doesn't pay the bills. You have, now you have hope against hope. It's against all odds. That's what Abraham had. It's against all odds that God's going to get you out of the situation. Or God's going to show up when he says he's going to show up. That's hope against hope. But guess what? It wasn't about what Abraham the response of Abraham that it gave him so much encouragement. No, it says in the passage right there it gave glory to God. The faith that he had from the promises, the hope that he has for the future, hope against hope gives glory to God. That's where to live our life. Does it do and give us encouragement? Absolutely. But does it bring glory to God? Yes, even more so. God is glorified when you trust Him. God is glorified when you trust Him. You May say, man, I, you know, Jared, I, and I, I people in my office do this all the time. So, you know, I'm trying to trust God, and it's just not working. I'm still living uh, anxieties and fears and worries. Some of you didn't sleep well last night. You said, I'm trying to trust God. It's just not working. It's like, it's working because you're glorifying God. Don't get down on yourself because you're so frustrated. You're giving glory to God. You say, listen, God, I I don't have control here. I give it all back to you. I have hope because of the faith that I have, the promises of the past and the present. Now I have hope that brings glory to God. Puts a smile on his face. That's what he's talking about here. So what do you set your hope on? That's the question. What what are we hoping for? We hope, as it says in in the passage there, on the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, we have hope in the second coming that Jesus is going to return. You know that Jesus is going to return someday? Amen. I always remember my mom saying, is that where you want to be when Jesus comes back? It's like, I always remember that, and I always thought about that, and most of the time it was no. But it's, it's going to happen, right? Sometime here, um, and we're working on this, we're going to do a series on Revelation, the end times, right? It's going to be great. But I'm going to tell you right now, the key for that, the focus will be that Jesus is coming back. How and what that looks like, we can talk about all those things, but here's the key, he's coming back. He's coming back. That's what gives us hope right? Hey, you can clap for that. Amen. He's coming back. He says, set your hope on that. Set your hope that he's coming back completely, ultimately. You got to set your hope on that, knowing, hey, he's coming back. He's coming back. Understand, too, that that's a second aspect of grace, You know, when we say that we're saved by grace, when we talk about how Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, a penalty that we deserve, he died for us, that's grace. Guess what? There's another type of grace that's coming. It's when he comes back. That's going to be another form of grace. Why? Because he's going to come back for us. He told Thomas when he was talking to the disciples that I go to prepare a place for you so that when I come back, I may take you to be where I am. That's grace because he's going to come back with us and he's going to take us to be where he is in heaven. Oh, it's going to be great. So we could fix our hope on heaven and how wonderful it's going to be. We could fix our hope and the fact that, you know, we're going to have, uh, you know, a mansion there. We're going to be with our loved ones again. But Peter's not saying that. He's just focused on the fact that Jesus is coming back. Why? Because that's all about grace. So how do we do that? Now we know, okay, we've got to have hope. We've got to have hope that know he's coming back. So how do we have hope in this life, right? If that's what it's all about, how do we have hope? And it says right there, it says, here's how you do it, with minds that are alert and fully sober, the Greek word, there's the, you use the word for gird up your loins. They, that's, that's the other version of this, gird your mind. In other words, what they would do is they would, they, in the old days when they wore robes, they would gather them all up Right? They would cinch them up so when they go out to battle that nothing was flying, nothing was distracting them when they were going out to battle. So they would gird up their belt. They would cinch it up. They would tie it down. Their minds are ready for action. So there was no distraction. If you want to live a life of hope, which leads to the life of uh, holiness, then you need to set your mind on that. And how you do it is you get rid of distractions in your life that can pull your attention off our Lord Jesus Christ. Those things like drugs and alcohol and, and seeking out pleasure, seeking out uh, just having a fun time in life, possessions. All those things gets our mind focused on our eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so what Peter says, you've got to grab those things. You've got to tie them down. Then he says, have a sober mind. We all know what it looks like for people that aren't sober, right? They have absolutely no ability to have self control, right? There's no ability to to, uh, have self control. There's no clarity of mind. There's, there's, a, there's a, a, a soberness that we need to have. What Peter's saying, is, listen, you need to be sober. You need to be in fully control of your abilities and actions. Every once in a while, I'll watch cops, just to watch the people that are totally drunk, because it makes me feel better about myself. But when you see these people, right? They have absolutely no control. There's no ability to have any control of their minds. What Peter's saying is, listen, you need to have self-control. You need to have a mind that's saying, listen, I'm going to control my bodies. I'm going to control my actions. I'm not going to do these things that the Bible talks about that's going to enslave us. These addictions and attitudes and behaviors we have. That's why I want to encourage you. You know, we live a life that's hard. We want to get you involved in small groups and Bible studies, right? That's why we have these at our church. Bob Mason Uh, Pastor Barry, we want to get you involved in Christian education and Bible studies. Why? So you can be around others to have accountability to help you in this life. Because you go, man, that's hard. To avoid all that stuff, Jared? You've got to be kidding me. No, it is hard. But that's why we come together as a body of believers in small groups. So that we can do that. So we can come together. So that we can live a life of holiness. Because we don't only respond in honor. We respond in holiness as well. We respond in holiness. Look at verse 14. It says, obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you have when you lived in ignorance. But just as you are called who is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You know, when we have a change of life, when we understand who Christ is... Our life looks different. I love the song Brad just sang because it talks about a new life. Those of you who can remember what it's like before you knew Christ, you know that your attitudes and actions and behaviors have changed. Does that mean you're perfect? No. But your attitudes and actions are definitely different. They're changing. You're trying to be holy. You're trying to live how God is asking you to live. It was, it's different than how you were when you weren't saved. That's why it's a new life. How do you do it? You don't conform to the lust of this world. You keep your mind focused, right? You avoid those, those pitfalls in life. You hold on to your robe. You tie it down. That's what it means to be holy. You know, I think of holiness. There's some people in the Bible that live the life of holiness. John the Baptist was one of those men. John the Baptist, if you remember, he was the guy who was born right before Christ. and He was paving the way for Christ. He lived in the, in the wilderness. It says in Mark 1, he wore, wore clothes of camel's hair and ate locusts and wild honey. He lived a life that was, it was totally devoted to the Lord. And what he did is he paved the way. He made so many enemies along the way. But he made so many converts because he recognized that his life was about holiness. He wasn't concerned about the world. He knew that he had to live in the world. He wasn't escaping the world. But he had to live in it. So he's going to live a life of honor and holiness. You know, when you get to that verse, it is written, I am... It is written, be holy because I am holy. We, we see that there, if you have your Bibles, it's right there in verse 16. It is written, be holy because I am holy. Where is that written? It's Leviticus. It goes back to Leviticus. Now, Leviticus is that book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's that book, if you're doing a, a, a year, you want to read through the Bible in a year, that's the book that you get to, you'll stop, most likely. right? Because Genesis and Exodus are great narratives. Leviticus comes to, it's a bunch of laws. So I want to encourage you, if you're ever going to read through the Bible in a year, don't just try to go through Genesis, because you will probably get to Leviticus and get um, a little bored, because it's, it's all about laws. Have a Bible that does like New Testament and Old Testament together. It really helps. But when you see that it is written, I am holy, um, be holy because I am holy, it's Leviticus 11.44, it says right there, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean, be By any creature that moves along the ground. I'm the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. That's the first time it shows up. You say, okay. There it is. What you understand is that not only it shows up in Leviticus 11, but it shows up in Leviticus 12, 13, 14, all the way through. right? Even in Leviticus 18 and 19, it says, Be holy because I am holy over and over and over again. 40, 50 times. I'm not, not going to bring them all on the screen, but see, just for example, Leviticus 19 says, don't swear falsely by the name of the profane of the Lord your God. I, I am the Lord your God. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block. I am the Lord your God. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord your God. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. I am the Lord your God. Don't put, in the fifth year, uh, you may eat fruits. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord your God. Don't cut your hair at the sides of your head. I'm the Lord your God. Don't mark on your bodies. I'm the Lord your God. Don't turn to mediums. I'm the Lord your God. Stand up in respect for the elderly, the aged. I'm the Lord your God. Over and over again. And as I read that, I thought, what does it matter with these people? Why does God have to keep repeating that? Are they they that ignorant that they can't understand what he's saying? Why does he keep repeating, I'm the Lord your God. Be holy because I am holy. Either they are, are completely stupid or... There must be some significance to it, and there's definitely some significance to it. What he's saying to them as he goes through the laws of Leviticus, he goes over and over, he reads these laws, he says, I am holy, be holy, because I am holy. The reason he does that is because he understands that they are God's chosen people, and now they represent him, and so they need to be holy because he is holy. Once you know who Christ is, you accept it into your life, you are now our children of God, and so you need to be holy because you now represent Christ as you go out into this community. That's why we do it. It's not because we're trying to earn points. It's because we are representative of Christ. We have a membership class. We have another one coming up in September. I always tell folks, listen, you're members of Christ's church. And understand that when you go out of here that you are still members of Christ's church. When you do something in the community or the culture that, that the whole world will find out about, or if it's something, some kind of decision or action that you had and it's on the news, guess what? That's going to reflect on Christ's church. Because you're a member of Christ's church. We tell our kids, I'm sure you do too, you've got to behave well in church or somewhere else. Why? Because it reflects on you. I tell my kids, listen, you've got to be good in church, right? Because it reflects on, on, on Deb and I. If my son and daughter put up a fighting ring out in the commons area after the service, you'd go, there might be something wrong in the household of Jared and Deb, right? If my son carved into the children's ministry, Pastor Jared was here, you'd go, hmm, he, he doesn't have very good morals. His, his parents must be a little off base. Why? Because they represent who? You represent Christ. And so you are holy because He is holy. Because we are children of God. And what an awesome responsibility it is. So we have hope. We have holiness. And then finally we have honor. We have honor. It says in verse 17, Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now, I could have said fear. We live in fear, but this is a different kind of fear. This is a reverent fear. Holy fear shows respect because you respect the fact that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, that he's going to judge people, as it says there. He judges these persons' work. Why? He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He has the power to do anything he wants. So we live in honor and holy respect for that. Proverbs 22 says this, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And I'm sure Peter can testify to this one, Proverbs 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the one holy one is understanding. You know, as the band comes and leads us, we're gonna come to a time of communion where we remember what Christ did. We remember what he did on the cross, but it doesn't end here because we need to go out and live a certain way, right? We have an obligation now, we understand it. You know, I think I think Peter would be able to testify the fact that, hey, he has a fear of the Lord. It's a holy fear. It's not a fear that he's going to wipe us out or he's going to kill us. A holy fear that he's all-powerful, all-knowing. That's why I think he, he got out of the boat and walked in the water when he saw Christ in the water. You know, I always wondered, I don't know, maybe, you, maybe you've wondered this, maybe you haven't. I, you know, Peter, if you remember the story about Peter, he gets out, he sees Jesus out in the water and he gets out in the boat and he goes out to, to him. Do you ever wonder what it, if it would have been different if it was a calm, clear day? Would that have been harder? And now Peter knew full well what it was like to be in a storm, right? To be beaten by the waves. Some of you feel beaten by the waves here today. You came into church because you're looking for a bit of relief. The relief is here. The hope is here. We We live in a world where we can have hope. We live in a world where we can have an honor, a holy holy fear for God that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. When Peter saw him out in the water, he remembered the promises that God made. That's how he had faith. So he had hope to get out of the boat and walk towards him. That's the hope we have. The hope that God can do anything. The hope above hope. Peter had that same thing. I'm going to walk on the water and in the middle of a storm. That's hope against hope. Some of you are, you're you're desperate for some hope here this morning. I'm telling you, you have hope because Jesus is coming back. That should give you some encouragement. But guess what? That brings glory to God. No matter what the situation is, no matter what the outcome is, it brings glory to God. So because we have hope, we live in holiness and we live in honor. My question for you this morning, are you living in hope, holiness, and honor? Same with me. What's our obligation? Hope, holiness, and honor. You got it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks for today. Thank you that we can live a life, Lord, that has hope, knowing that you're coming back. Lord, That bring, we pray that brings you glory. Lord, we thank you for that. That we trust you, knowing that you are in control of all things. Lord, I do pray that you give us encouragement as we go through tough times in life. But Lord, help us to remember that it's not about how we feel. It's about what it does for you. We trust you. So, Lord, thank you for what you've done for us, the promises that you made to us. Help us to live a life of hope. Help us to live a life of holiness. Help us to live a life of honor, knowing that you are all-powerful. And, Lord, as we come to the communion table now, Lord, I pray that we can reflect on what you've done for us. But as we leave this place again, Lord, that we aren't just hearers of the word, that we'll be doers of it as well as we go out and live a life of hope, holiness, and honor. Thanks for what you're going to do, and I ask all this in your name.